Do you know uh, Jerry Lee Lewis's song, Great Balls of Fire? Dun 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 dun, you shake my nerves and you rattle my brain. Bum 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 bum, too much love drives a man insane. Now look, I'm going to spare you from having to listen to the rest of that song. But in year 11, um, a part of my drama class, um, I performed that song in a Shakespeare play, actually. Don't ask me how those two go together. Um, Great Balls of Fire, Shakespeare play, Much Ado About Nothing. I'm not sure. But, um, but after performing that song, um, one of my fellow classmates, um, she uh, thought I sang really well. Now, she really could sing. And she asked if I would um, sing with her in a duet um, for our music class. Um, that was one of our work requirements to perform in front of the class. And so we sang a song together um, uh, called A Whole New World from Disney's Aladdin. Now, my friends, they were into grunge music. They were into Nirvana and Silverchair, um, electric guitars, drums. And here I am singing kind of a love song from Disney's Aladdin, <laughs> A Whole New World. And so while I'm singing, one of my friends, I say friends in inverted commas, uh, commas was sitting up the front and um, the teacher couldn't see him. Um, the teacher was up the back. And as he's facing me, as I start singing, he starts laughing, not out loud so that anyone knows, but he laughs sort of like a mime laugh. <laughs> and as he does this, I become so embarrassed that the volume of my voice drops, my notes are going all over the place, the girl I'm singing with is giving me strange looks. <laughs> Isn't it funny how experiences of heightened emotion are etched in our memory? This is a memory that maybe I'm still being healed from, <laughs> but, but I think all of us have memories like this of things that embarrassed us. And I think we seek to avoid particularly experiences that may be about shame or disgrace or embarrassment or humiliation. We try to avoid experiences like this. As we look at our passage today from Isaiah, um, a passage that... Uh, it has been has been known as the servant song. There are a few of these servant songs, passages that are found in the book of Isaiah. As we look at this passage today, I'm going to suggest that unless we find courage to face our fear of humiliation, unless we find courage to face our fear of humiliation, I think we all fear being humiliated. Unless we can face this fear, we may miss our God-given call to provide the word that sustains the weary. We may miss our God-given call to provide the word that sustains the weary. Now, if you were listening closely to our reading, you would have heard that maybe this is the mission of the servant. The servant is going to bring a word that sustains the weary. It may be, too, that this, too, is part of our call, that we, too, participate in the servant's mission. But we'll come to that in a moment. So for those of you that are joining us um, for the first time, we're um, in the midst of a series called The Servant Songs, uh, passages of scripture that come from the book of the prophet Isaiah. Now, uh, the, the book of the prophet Isaiah, it spans um, a period of time where uh, there are warnings given to God's people about their idolatry and sin, and that judgment is coming. And then it spans a time when that judgment actually does take place. And it also spans the time um, after the exile, where people are wondering and waiting 
uh, and trying to understand and make sense of their uh, situation of being exiled from the land. And it's in that context that the second half of Isaiah starts to provide words of comfort, of hope, of promise. And it's in the second half of Isaiah that we find these servant songs. And, and as we look at this figure, this servant of the Lord, we wonder who he is. We read that, um, that this servant will restore Israel, that they will be a light to the nations. Um, and, and we wonder, well, is Israel, the nation Israel themselves, is, are they the servant? Because Isaiah does speak of them as the servant of the Lord. But then as we piece together more pieces, we see that this servant um, will be rejected and killed um, as a sacrifice and an atonement for the sins of the people. And as we put all these pieces together, uh, uh, the people may have wondered of what this figure might be or, or who this figure might be. But when Jesus comes onto the scene, we see that he most completely and perfectly fulfills this role. So as we look at this passage now, I'm going to be looking at it in that context, that Jesus indeed fulfills the role of the servant of the Lord. But, the, but as Andrew's already mentioned, in, insofar as... Um, insofar as uh, the life of Christ is in us, imparted to us by the Spirit, by the Holy Spirit, that, that we too participate um, in aspects of the mission of this servant of the Lord. And so let's, let's look at this passage together. Um, uh, I'm, I'm going to break this passage up into two parts. And in the first part, we're going to be thinking about the mission of the servant. And then we're going to look at the servant's resolve in this mission. And so as we read verses 4 and 5 now from chapter 50, listen carefully. You'll hear words like ear and open ear and tongue and word. And, and as you hear all of this, there's, there's this sense that, that the servant is one who's receiving this instruction and is obedient to what he's hearing. So listen to this. The sovereign Lord has given me a well-instructed tongue. To know the word that sustains the weary. He wakens me morning by morning. Wakens my ear to listen like one being instructed. The sovereign Lord has opened my ears. I have not been rebellious. I have not turned away. Um, the mission of this servant, we hear straight away, is providing the word that sustains the weary. Providing the word that sustains the weary. And... And, and this servant is obedient. He hears and is instructed. And in receiving this instruction and this word, he's, he's able to sustain the weary with this word. Um, when we look at the Gospels, uh, there is a verse that immediately <laughs> exemplifies this idea. Um, we hear Jesus himself say in Matthew eleven twenty eight, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And again, in John 7, 37 to 38, we hear um, the writer say, On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Not only does Jesus satisfy and give rest to the weary, satisfy the thirst of those that are thirsty, but those who believe in him, those who trust in him, as scripture has said, 
rivers of living water will flow from within them. That even as we find our rest, even as we find our thirst quenched, even as we are satisfied by the servant, even as we are satisfied by Jesus, we too become uh, part of that. We participate in that. We become rivers of living water for others. As we read on, we hear of the servant's resolve. And so we read, I offered my back to those who beat me, my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting. Because the sovereign Lord helps me, I will not be disgraced. Therefore I have set my face like flint, and I know I will not be put to shame. The servant's resolve, we, we see his obedience in the face of humiliation. The nature of this obedience is going to involve humiliation. That, that as the servant obeys, it is going to be a path that will lead to humiliation. But what we see of the servant is this determined action, this resolute spirit. And, and we see that this is due to God's help. And, and, and a sense of God's vindication. Because the Sovereign Lord helps me, I will not be disgraced. Therefore I have set my face like flint, and I know I will not be put to shame. Um, we, we see this resolute um, uh, spirit in Jesus in Luke chapter 9 verse 51. It says, As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Uh, so, so Jesus looks towards Jerusalem, looks towards the path that will lead to the cross, will lead to his humiliation, and he goes forth, resolute, determined. In Mark chapter 10, verses 32 to 34, it reads, um, not, in this part we, we see not only Jesus' resolute um, decision to go towards Jerusalem, um, to his death, to his humiliation, but we also hear right at the end the vindication that will come. We hear the hints of humiliation that will come, but we also hear the vindication. So listen carefully to Mark 10, 32-34. They were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way. And the disciples were astonished, while those who followed were afraid. Again he took the twelve aside and told them what was going to happen to him. We are going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. This three days later is his vindication. And so in one sense there is the humiliation, but it's, it's, it's to God, that it's to the Father that Jesus looks. It's to the Lord that the servant looks for, for his vindication. And sometimes I think we're ashamed of the wrong things. We're looking at the wrong faces. If, if ever there was a time where a word for the weary is needed, it might be now. Um, in one sense, yes, we're, we're all aware of the global crisis. And... And I, I think, as I've engaged in conversations with people, that people seem to be more open to talking about their weariness. People seem to be more open to talking about what they feel matters, what, what they value, uh, 
what they think is most important, where meaning and purpose is. These conversations seem to be a little bit more on people's minds. And as I hear people speak, I hear a weariness. Do we, like the servants, have a word? A word that may sustain the weary? And as I said at the start, unless we find the courage to face our humiliation, we may miss our God-given call to provide the word that sustains the weary. Sometimes I think there are too many times where we miss opportunities because we're worrying about the wrong thing. If, if the idea of um, embarrassment, disgrace or humiliation doesn't resonate with you, think of it in this way. It's, it's another way of thinking about the same thing. Maybe it's the loss of favour of someone or approval or affirmation. We don't want to be ashamed of the name of Jesus. We don't want to be ashamed of the good news of Jesus. The servant saw humiliation and faced it on our behalf. Jesus, on our behalf, was humiliated so that at the end, we will be able to stand before God, holy, blameless, glorious. Now, I don't know if this is another way of helping you think about this, but um, the, the idea that we, we sometimes are embarrassed and, and ashamed of the wrong things. For, for myself, could it be that I might be embarrassed or ashamed of, of a sermon that I think isn't good enough? Maybe I should be ashamed of vanity and conceit. Maybe I'm ashamed or worried about inviting a wealthy person into my humble home. Maybe I should be more ashamed about a covetous spirit. Sometimes we're ashamed and feel um, embarrassed over the wrong things. Think about um, the Apostle Peter. That um, uh, Jesus is arrested. Peter follows. The Apostle Peter follows. And then Peter denies knowing Jesus three times. And then it says in Luke's Gospel that Jesus looks straight at him. I think it was a face, not of a scowl on his face, but a knowing, loving kind of face. Knowing that Peter would be restored. Knowing that Peter would take his place again in the church to lead it. Jesus, knowing this, lovingly looks at him. And it's this face that leads Peter to break down and weep bitterly and to repent of his being ashamed of naming Jesus, of being associated with Jesus. What if we could remember that Jesus is coming again? Today we celebrate um, the beginning of the Advent. It's a time where um, we uh, remember the coming of Jesus in his birth, but we also look forward to his coming again. Advent means coming, and so we're looking forward, celebrating his first coming, but we're looking forward to his coming again. What if we could look at that coming again now? What if we could think of being before Jesus? What would be, be, we be ashamed of then? How, what, what would we be ashamed of how we've spent our time, 
how we've spent our resources, the talents that God has placed within us, or, or the things that we have externally, our finances or whatever other resources we have, we will be ashamed of how we've spent these things and used these things. What will we be ashamed of? And as I piece together this idea of judgment, I've already said that at the end we will stand before God, blameless, holy and glorious. I think at the end I will step into eternity with eternal gratitude, rejoicing and celebration over Jesus and what he's done for me. But, but, but also, also as I piece together the, the, the scriptures around judgment, I, I feel like there's, there's at least this momentary moment where... <laughs> where I'm standing before Jesus and the light of Christ shining on me and I see with glaring clarity my sin. I see all the times that I was ashamed of the wrong things. I was ashamed of Jesus at the time when I should have been boldly proclaiming him. But as I said, at the end, the glory to be revealed won't be worth comparing with that, that shame. But thinking about it may help me think about what's most important. I pray that God would captivate you more, that the face of God would captivate you more than all the voices and faces of this world. Please pray the same for me. And let's pray that the church, in the face of humiliation, may rise up to speak the word that sustains the weary. Amen.